Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Hi, folks. Thank you so, so much for listening. I've been a little slower with releases this summer as I take some time to catch up on my studio practice and these looming show deadlines. Also celebrate being able to see family again and work to get ahead of myself so that I can take a bit of rest time. I also hope for you that you're able to make time for rest. Like truly take some time to not be thinking about all the things. And when you've carved out your rest time, here are a few things that you could think about. So next week is the Climate Change Agents Institute, a virtual conference hosted by Teach and Pat Cruz, who I spoke with in episode 54. This conference brings together educators, artists, and environmentalists to design inspiring and transformative projects for their part of the world. Every participant will walk away with a lesson plan or action plan to implement in their community. The conference runs July 13th, 15th, and 16th, and I will put the registration link in the show notes. And if you're spending more time this summer focused on your art practice, I have recently opened up some spots for individual critique sessions. I'm excited to talk with artists individually and get to know your work while helping you move towards your goals as an artist. Whether you need feedback on a new body of work, suggestions for an upcoming show or project, advice about submitting to shows, help with pricing or website, statement, bio, assistance with preparing proposals, recommendations for studio or file organization, or just some general advice and encouragement, I would be happy to help. You can find all the info and submit a bit of info for me to look over before our session at teachingartistpodcast.com slash mentor. After we meet, I'll send an email summarizing the conversation and sharing some reflection prompts and next steps for your work moving forward. I have so loved talking with so many artists here and getting to know even more artists through the gallery I run with Maria Coit. I've also learned so much from fellow artists, and I'm excited to share this knowledge through these critique sessions. If that sounds like something that you could benefit from, you can book a session at teachingartistpodcast.com slash mentor. And one more opportunity to share, our upcoming Art Educators Lounge meeting will be held on Saturday, July 24th at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, and this will be another Artist Talks community meeting. So we loved hearing from Shkurte Ramushi and Nicole Rose Gellarmino last time and would love to hear from you. To sign up to present, you can click the link in the show notes or in our Instagram bio. We have five spots, so reserve yours now. If you do want to join, but you're a little nervous about presenting, you can also join just as audience come and see the talks. 
And you can do that for free through Eventbrite. I will add that link to my Instagram bio at Teaching Artist Podcast and also share an email about it later this week. Okay, now on to our featured artist and then the wonderful interview with Andrea Levy. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here, as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. This week's featured artist is Carol Radsprecher. Carol Radsprecher's images combine figurative and abstract elements. She was born in Brooklyn, New York, and will live there until she dies. She earned her MFA in painting in 1988 from Hunter College, CUNY. A longtime painter, she discovered the wonders of digital image making and found that media well suited to her need to make a succession of rapidly evolving narrative images based on distorted representations of the human body, especially the female body. Her work has appeared in several solo shows and numerous group shows and has been published in print and online publications. Here's a bit from her statement. Distortion of the human figure is a key element in my work. These distorted representations of the figure interact with abstract areas. Most of the figures are representations of the female figure, that first landscape we see as we enter the world. Her images are obliquely autobiographical and narrative. Each image is one of a series. You can see her work on her website, carolradsprecher.com, or on our blog, and we will also be sharing on our Instagram at Teaching Artist Podcast. And as always, if you would like to be featured, you can submit your work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Andrea Levy talked about the wild juggling game of teaching and making art and staying active in her communities. She shared some wonderful books and resources, especially around a topic she's been focusing on lately, self-love. We talked about assessment in the art classroom and questioned how to encourage students rather than add pressure to their lives. I loved hearing how the pandemic has helped her shift more away from medium-specific work, both in her own work and in teaching. She talked about helping students translate their thoughts in whatever form makes sense to them. We also talked about struggling to facilitate courageous conversations about social justice, and she shared some framing and tips that have helped her create dialogue among students. Andrea Bell Levy is a visual artist living between Tucson, Arizona and Portland, Oregon. She received her BFA in art education at the University of Arizona. Tenderness and storytelling inform her work. Andrea teaches high school in Tucson as well as adult workshops with emphasis on identity, play, and practice development. Currently, she is pursuing her MFA in Visual Studies at Pacific Northwest College of Art in Portland, Oregon. Her work has been featured at Tiny Town Gallery, Jewish History Museum, Subspace, and Chick Magnet. To follow her most current work, subscribe to her Patreon and receive handwritten love letters, playlists, stickers, and workshops. And I will link to all of that in the show notes and on our blog. Let's hear from Andrea. 
I am here with Andrea Levy, and I'm excited to hear more about your background and get to chat more about art and teaching. Could we start it off sharing how you got into both of those things? Okay, so I've always been into drawing. When I was younger, I'd go with my mom to her work. She was always so busy that she'd bring me along and she'd give me some highlighters and pens and printer paper. And I'd always draw princesses or pictures of her while she was pregnant with my sister (laughs) or pictures of the three of us. Sometimes I draw my dad, but I've always enjoyed drawing female forms more Mm -hmm. (laughs) from when I was really young. I just always grew up around art and drawing. My family, they weren't really into art, so they would have to find ways to, you know, art classes to maybe put me in or they'd buy me those kits with like the oil pastels and crayons and watercolors that come in them that aren't that don't work very well, but I thought I was an artist for having that whole kit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And and I wasn't really encouraged to pursue it as a profession. It was more of just like a hobby. Mm -hmm. My parents are very logical, not creative folks. I mean, they have different strengths other than they just don't think in that way. Mm -hmm. So I was encouraged to go to business school or something scientific. Uh, right. I tried. I switched my major like four times while I was in school uh. until I met a World War II vet who was my neighbor and he had PTSD from World War II and how he was able to rehabilitate was through watercolor painting. Mm. And I thought I wanted to become an art therapist after meeting him. And we hung out all the time. I'd paint on his porch with him and we'd smoke together and he'd show me his work. We'd share watercolors. It was a nice exchange. He became my adopted grandpa. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. He passed away and we have his little Mm. dog, Cisco, now, which is like a little angry chihuahua, but it's a nice (laughs) little presence of him. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so it's kind of a long story, but essentially I dropped in and out of college until I met Al and then wanted to be an art therapist. Started going to school for that, took an education class and realized that that's actually what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then so you ended up eventually getting an art education degree? Yes, through the U of A or University of Arizona. Yeah. And then when you finished, did you kind of jump right into teaching at the high school level or have you taught at other levels? So during during my BFA, I ended up teaching some after school programs at the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Tucson. Mm-hmm. And I became really connected with them. So I started to teach summer camp with them. We ended up creating an installation camp, which Ooh. is still running and it's so fun. Amazing. And when I was doing my student teaching in my undergrad, I started at the high school level. And right after graduating, I got hired there. That's and I've awesome. I've been teaching high school ever since. And do you, are you, I feel like in high school, it's more narrowed down, like I'm teaching just all the visual arts at the elementary level, but do you have sort of a focus? Yeah. So the courses I teach are painting and drawing, Mm -hmm. but we do a little experiments of other stuff too when we have the materials like weaving or playing with some air dry clay. I'm hoping to get us, oh, we've done some like sound art with a collaboration with another artist. 
we've done a few cool things. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And one thing that a friend just brought up to me that I was like, I haven't really thought about this or really asked people about it, but the assessment side of teaching, like figuring out grading and all of that, how do you handle that? And do you feel like your education helped or is it really top down from your administration? Like, how does that work for you? I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When I first started, I used a rubric that I inherited from a teacher I'd been teaching at at my school before. And I kind of graded using her rubric, which was very skills-based, but with some participation grade. and Mm -hmm. But it was a lot of craft and elements and principles. And Mm -hmm. I, I cannot remember the other categories. But that seemed to be working. But as I started to change my ideas on education and and teaching and the learning outcomes, I've kind of ditched that rubric. And I don't have a new rubric. Mm -hmm. But essentially, now I'm just grading for I'm just look, I mean, I don't know, it's different, because we're also in a pandemic now. And that (laughs) changed my grading style. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Essentially, I just give students full points for doing something in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I feel like just making stuff is really hard right now. Yeah, totally. But I I, I don't know what it will look like after the pandemic because I I want them to really push themselves. But I don't want them to feel pressure either because that's not helpful when you're art making. Right. Yeah, it's such a hard thing. Yeah, a friend asked me about it and I was like, I haven't really had to deal with that. (laughs) I'm a teaching artist working for nonprofits and I've kind of been that way my entire education career. I've never taught directly for a school, which means I've never been the one responsible for grades. Mm -hmm. So I have, I've just avoided that whole issue. (laughs) Totally. That's what I recommend. Avoid the issue. (laughs) I I wish. So much pressure to like put in two grades a week and that adds Mm -hmm. more pressure on students. Mm -hmm. So I I found that though I might you know, give them 100% for turning in whatever, for the most part, they do put in a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I I might keep this up. We'll see. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. That line between encouragement and pressure, like how do you push towards encouraging them without putting too much pressure on? Totally. When when I have a lot of pressure on me, I I almost get stuck. I don't want to make something. Right. It's going to be graded. That sucks. Yeah, exactly. And I know you mentioned how your sort of philosophy has changed over time. Could you talk more about that? Where did it begin? Where is it now? Yeah. I feel like it changes a little bit every year, but I imagine that's normal with a lot of educators. I think it started being really skills-based and wanting my students to be really skilled in their making. And we spent so much time learning shading techniques and different paint techniques, perspective, figure drawing, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think I cared a lot about that in my first two years. And then I started teaching upper levels and I realized like they just need more play because then they start to take you seriously. And so now I'm all about experimenting and even going outside of pushing the boundaries. Like I have students doing photography in my class, even though we're a painting and drawing class Mm -hmm. or sculpting or just really however they want to translate their thoughts. I'm cool with. And if they like some of my students 
who are really uncomfortable with drawing, I taught them some digital collage techniques and now they mm-hmm. create work in digital collage. I, I just want them to be able to express their thoughts without pressure of how skilled or quote unquote good it is. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's yielded a lot of great results and students seem to be enjoying themselves a lot more that way. And also just mm-hmm. creating more open-ended projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the more I shift towards more choice and more focus on student voice and empowering them as artists, the more engagement I get and the better the work is that comes out of it, but also the more learning is actually happening. Totally. And I think I also used to be the teacher that would be like, we are working on watercolors today. We are working Mm -hmm. on charcoal today. And now I am like, create this and however you like whatever medium you want, like the medium is no longer important. It's what you're making work about is I think the most important thing. Yeah. And do you feel like being an artist and keeping up with your own studio practice has also influenced that? Oh, for sure. I think because I am doing that myself now, mm-hmm. pushing how I get my message across in different medias or different ways and trying not to put pressure on myself so that I just keep making. That's taught me a lot about how to te- teach teens. Yeah, I feel like that too. And I feel like a lot of people I talk to talk about how as an artist, you might be focused in one media, but so many artists work between different media and focus their work by concept and giving your students that freedom. Totally. And and another realization I made was I might teach some skill builder stuff next year, but essentially mm-hmm. kids can YouTube a lot of it and they do. Right. <laughs> and I feel like it's almost a waste of their time to be doing that in class when we could be learning how to strengthen their concepts and their message and their passion about what they're making work about mm-hmm. and having conversations about art. That's something you can't get from a YouTube video. Right. And do you direct them to any specific videos or just kind of let them, like if they have an interest, they kind of go down that rabbit hole? For the most part, they're really good at finding information. Yeah. They'll say, hey, I saw this cool YouTube video with this technique with colored pencils that I tried and look at, look what I did miss. And it's awesome. They like to show me the YouTube wormholes they go on. (laughs) That's great. And has that shifted with the pandemic? Is that happening more and more? Are you you're not still remote now? Or were you remote at one point? I was remote until March 22nd. Okay. And, you know, we didn't have art kits for the kids. So I Mm. I didn't have control over what students were using to make art. So I was having a lot of trouble I think that's why I opened up the medium the mm-hmm. media to begin with. But I would show myself like on my phone connected to our Zoom meeting how I would maybe do something. But they're good at finding resources. They'd show me things that they found. They send me videos all the time like, hey, you, you should check out this video, miss. It's a really cool watercolor technique I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I might share that with the class. But yeah, they're they're really good at finding information. And how has it been being back in person? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's great for the situation. Yeah. I just really missed being in the classroom. I really missed watching students make work. Mm. I missed seeing their faces. I never pressure kids to turn on their Zoom cameras because Mm -hmm. that just seems like a power struggle waiting to happen. Uh, Right. So 
it's nice to see them in person. It's nice to watch them make art. It's just nice to be around students. And they're all so sweet. It sucks that we can't collaborate. We have to stay really far apart. It's hard to hear each other sometimes with our masks. But yeah, for the most part, I'm really happy to be there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And you were talking earlier about how sort of quick and on top of things, it sounds like the vaccine rollout there was. Mm-hmm. Some of my is, students are yeah. getting vaccinated right now. Wow. Yeah, because it's 16 and up, right? Yeah. Amazing. They, it's like a badge <laughs> of honor for them. They love to talk about, oh, miss, I got vaccinated today. I don't feel great, uh, but I got vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like slowly but surely coming back. Yes, I'm I'm yeah. hopeful that next school year we'll be back for the most part together and mm-hmm. I have big plans. <laughs> yes. And then that makes me think too, there's so much talk about returning to normal, but then what things need to change and need to like what changes need to stay and shifting systems completely. <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe within teaching or even just within your own classroom, like what do you see sticking around that has shifted during this time? Or what do you see kind of continuing to shift? I think throughout this pandemic, I've been giving them more and more freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think that should for sure stick. Mm -hmm. I also started to have more conversations around social justice. I've started to Mm -hmm. be more confident with that, facilitating those conversations. I had a rough experience my first year, which kind of scared me away from it. But now I feel really confident in facilitating those conversations. So definitely continuing that. And now I see myself more as an art coach rather than a Mm. teacher. And I definitely hope that sticks for next year. And especially with my current juniors, I want to help them get into their dream art schools next year. Yes, uh, I love that. I love that idea of the art coach, too. Yeah, I, I definitely let everyone know that I'm no expert in anything. And I'm just mm-hmm. there to, to coach them along and coach myself along. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I feel like our role should be facilitator, questioner, mm-hmm. like encourager, oh, <laughs> cheerleader. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that rough experience talking about social justice. Would you want to or be able to kind of go into that more? Like what happened and how did that make you change for a while? And yeah, how has it been kind of coming back and building up that courage again? I had a student who really pushed back where I felt like anything I did was going to cause tension between me and this student. And I I really was not expecting that. I also thought I was coming at this conversation from a pretty non-controversial standpoint. But mm. I think just bringing up a conversation, it's a little vague, but essentially everything I did, the student found a way to come back at me. I was called a communist. I It just, it was like a whole thing. I don't even know how to like talk about it, you know, sorry. (laughs) No, I mean, I feel like it's important to dig into those moments because I'm sure other teachers have experienced that. And I feel like I don't have good advice because I'm in this very sort of progressive bubble here in Los Angeles 
And I get messages from people being like, I don't know how to have a conversation, how to even begin a conversation here in rural Georgia. Like I would be fired. Totally. I guess what I learned from that was I learned to really prepare myself for these conversations and for what might arise. Mm -hmm. I've learned to use one of my friends, Liz Deneau, told me to show artists who talk about these issues so that it's Mm -hmm. their words being used, not yours. And I Mm -hmm. thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And so I've started to do that. But also just like being confident in myself that I can guide this conversation. And we also kind of stage it at the beginning now where I mentioned that you might not agree with everything, but let's agree to disagree sometimes. And let's just be respectful of each other and different opinions. And we might learn Mm -hmm. something from from each other. Yeah. And, And since I've started to prepare the class for these conversations. And since I've taken my friend Liz Deneau's advice, I feel like these conversations have been really successful. And then also kind of circling back to the school code of conduct. Mm. This is not something that's okay in our school. I don't think it's okay in the bigger world either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great ways to start that conversation. And another thing I've heard from Alicia Mernick, who's a great art educator here in LA. She's talked about exactly what you were saying, like sharing artists and sharing their words, but also bringing that student voice and choice into it and saying, let's talk about current issues. She said she might offer a list of some articles students could look at of like, this is something that happened in the last six months. But if you have a different event you wanted to bring up and talk about and make work about, kind of turning that over to students to choose something that's happening now that they're passionate about or interested in learning more about so they can kind of bring up whatever topics are important to them. Totally. And to continue off of that, also just sharing the different viewpoints and maybe their Mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses. Mm Mm-hmm. That way, it's also like you're not pushing an agenda or an opinion. Mm-hmm. You're just sharing the different ideas for them to understand and and almost decide which one makes the most sense to them. Like We just finished a project where we were examining r- Confederate monuments. Mm-hmm. And we were looking at Titus Kafar's work and Kahinde Wiley, mm-hmm. Kara Walker, and different approaches and and their ideas on racist artworks and and what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And we read articles uh, that talked about should we topple them? Should we put them in museums? Is it ignore is it like erasing our history if we destroy them? And by erasing our history, I mean whitewashing it and hiding the ugly truth. We had these conversations for a good two weeks before it led up to an art making project. Mm. And I felt like those discussions, they were so powerful. And everything that my students said, they were just so thoughtful and willing to learn and willing to see all sides of the picture. And one of them even brought up like, oh, well, this kind of reminds me of the Dr. Seuss stuff that's happening right now. Like, what Mm. can we do with those books? And we had that discussion. And it's great. That's amazing to have that time and to spend that time on discussion and being able to have that dialogue and get so deep into the ideas. 
and it was really, I think, interesting for them to see each other's opinions. And they were also respectful to each other. And I don't know, they excite me for the future. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And then what kind of projects did they make after that? So the project was to either create, amend, or redesign a monument. Mm. And I kind of just left it at that. We looked at different monuments and museums. We looked at the different viewpoints that people might have of like destroying it or amending it or turning it into a museum, a place for something for folks to learn from. Mm -hmm. So it was due yesterday. So I I can't (laughs) really say what everyone did, but some students chose to redo Mount Rushmore, acknowledging Mm -hmm. that it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Right. But they turned it into something that celebrates Chicana culture or Mm. I had another student amend uh, an Abraham Lincoln freeing an enslaved man monument. And the stuff I've seen is pretty badass. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so inspiring. I have one student that did a monument to self-love because that's something she's working on. And that also was really sweet. And I love the variety of responses, too. I feel like that's so much more interesting as a teacher to see. And kind of going back to assessment, I feel like that makes it more interesting to go through and give feedback or say, I guess I think of assessment as also including that offering feedback to students Mm -hmm. and and building them up. For sure. And it's, I think, more interesting as an educator to have those conversations, like where they're Mm -hmm. telling you their vision. Everyone's is so different and Mm -hmm. it makes teaching more fun. Yeah. And you really get to know the students. Mm -hmm. There's so much talk, especially this year, but really always about relationship building and how, I mean, that that is teaching, like that's what it's all about. Totally. I would say in some ways, I feel even closer to my students than I ever have this oh. year. But I, I don't know, in different ways. I can't wait mm-hmm. to be back in the classroom, though. <laughs> yes, like the real way that you're back, like being totally. able to talk with them and being close to them. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. And, and having them talk to each other. I think I feel closer mm-hmm. to them, but they feel really far apart from each other. And mm-hmm. that's a bummer. And I cannot wait for them to be with each other again. Yeah, absolutely. I know my little five-year-old has been doing remote kindergarten and she just left for the park and she's been going to the park on weekends and she'll just run up to like the first kid she sees like, do you want to play with me? <laughs> oh, it's such a hard time to be a, a kid, but especially in kindergarten, like you're learning what school is and this is her experience. Yeah. And learning how to be human with other humans, <laughs> how to socialize. Yeah. It's a tough time, but I feel so hopeful. (laughs) Same, especially with these vaccine rollouts. I'm feeling really hopeful. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show 
is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram. It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is PottsArt, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. And I want to get more into your own artwork. And you're right now in, are are you still in it or you're finishing an MFA program? I'm in it. I just finished my first year and I'm about to start my second year. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So while teaching through a pandemic, (laughs) you're also doing an MFA program. How is that going? I am really enjoying it. I was very nervous to begin. I had some imposter syndrome (laughs) before Mm. starting the program. And actually, even just right after starting the program, I was like, what am I doing here? (laughs) But I feel really good. And I think that a lot of the things I've learned in my first year, I've brought back to my students too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm really enjoying being in the program. And I was worried about juggling being in school while teaching. But Mm -hmm. I haven't had that much of an issue with that. I feel like being in this program has strengthened my organization skills, or at least it's helped me create intentional art making time. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. For sure. But a good habit to create. Yeah. 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 And the MFA program is a low res programs? Yes. So in the summers, I'm in Portland. And I started last year in a pandemic. And it's a weird time to start. But the classes were all remote. And I was offered a studio space, which I felt like I totally had to take advantage of. And yeah, also be nicer to quarantine in Portland versus Tucson, Arizona in the summer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Portland is so beautiful in the summer. It's so beautiful in the summer. And I love Tucson, but the summers are rough. They are 110 plus sometimes. Oh, yeah. But yeah. And when we're not in Portland, we are working on our studio practice and we have mentors who guide us. We have a winter session. It's perfect for educators. Mm -hmm. And is it kind of designed that way? Is it designed for educators? I don't know if that was the intention. I think the intention Mm -hmm. was a program for folks who have careers and families Mm -hmm. and other obligations and commitments, Mm -hmm. but who still want to pursue an MFA. Yeah. And it just happens to be perfect for teachers. (laughs) Yes, that's amazing. And how has that shifted your work? Like I did my MFA and my work completely changed. Yeah. <laughs> and like changed again and again. <laughs> yeah. So my work has always been really autobiographical mm-hmm. and it, it still is, but you almost wouldn't know it now. It's still very narrative based, but now I'm starting to create characters to tell stories rather than using myself and my family. Mm-hmm. I've started to work 3D, which is Ooh. not something I would have done if I ha- I mean, maybe that's not true, but I hadn't considered it until I started the MFA program. And also, I work in a larger scale now. Mm-hmm. 
Do you feel like having the studio space there helped you, like pushed you to go larger? Yes, for sure. And also it's just a clean, empty space where I could go nuts. And at home, I have like (laughs) a cluttered home office slash studio slash storage space. Yeah. It's harder to go big or to imagine like hard to make art in a cluttered space for me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. But so Um, now I've started to make work at my kitchen table and it just lives all over my house now. (laughs) I love it. It's just an art house. Yes, it's fun. I've started to take some of my sculptures on trips with me too. Oh, and then do you photograph them in different places? Uh, I took some of my sculptures most recently to Joshua Tree and photographed them in the desert and That was pretty cool and gave me a lot more ideas. Yeah, that's amazing. And are the sculptures ceramic? They are actually paper clay. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, which is a medium I I wasn't very familiar with, but I wanted to use air dry clay to start because I didn't know what I was Mm -hmm. doing. But I'm hoping this summer I'll have access to the kilns and into a ceramic studio. So I'm hoping to create some ceramic sculptures this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking at them now and the texture is so amazing. I love seeing that. Like they do look ceramic. So I feel like you'll have a lot of fun with ceramics. Yes. And I kind of want to go even bigger than ceramic, but um, mm. I don't know how to do that yet. I'm going to need some advising. Yeah. Well, paper clay might be the way to go because it'll be so potentially lightweight and like you can kind of keep building onto it, right? True. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I've only, I've played around with it, but I haven't done any large scale sculpture with paper. I've just seen it. (laughs) They're just starting to get a little bigger and bigger each time. Yeah. They're growing. Uh, And then would you want to talk a little bit about the concepts behind your work? You said narrative and sort of autobiographical. Okay, let's back up to the (laughs) beginning of the pandemic when I realized I had a lot of self-esteem issues and Mm self-love issues. I started to read some books about self-esteem. I started to read some books by Sherry Struber and Bell Hooks and started journaling and upping my therapy, started Mm. really going hard on the growth train. Mm -hmm. And so I started to create stories about that and about nurturing myself, the voices in my head that tell me that I'm not good enough. Those are my snakes. Mm. And the mother in my work is the part of me that needs to nurture the snakes and nurture Uh. the ideas. So I'm starting to slowly build some characters. The eggs in my work started off being about my ancestors, but have Mm. also now turned into parts of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And these characters also connect so much to like archetypal, archetypal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying that right, characters of femininity and feminism motherhood there's sort of universal ideas that a viewer can draw from them totally i bought the toshin book of symbols and that has been mm. a really fun book to read if if you're into archetypes and and symbols mm. but i really liked the entry on the egg being about the potential and being mm. the cosmic egg the beginning of the universe and i feel like that's really fits really well with what I'm doing with eggs right now. Yeah. Ah, that's really cool. I love that idea at the beginning of the universe. I've been 
you know, obsessed with water and <laughs> thinking about the water inside of our bodies and then also the water that was in my womb that surrounded my daughter. And I like this idea of, I know it's not water in the universe, but like picturing little eggs floating out there and <laughs> floating in water. Totally. I'll have to send you the cha- the pages on water from the book. You'll love oh, it. Yes. Have you, I would love that. Have you read that book or seen that book before? The Tashin's Book of Symbols? No, I need to go look it up. It's so cool. It's like a collection of essays or poetry about different archetypal symbols. Oh, yes. I'm writing it down. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I also like to link to any books that we talk oh, yeah. about. So I'll link to it and then put it on my list. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah. And then another thing I feel like it's helpful to talk about is the business side of art and how you seek out opportunities. If you're selling your work, like how does that happen? Are you trying to sell and show right now? Or is it really now is the making time you're in the middle of this MFA program? I feel like I'm having a hard time with that. I want to be in the making part, but of course, I'd like to sustain myself with my practice. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't like this idea of selling myself and the, I don't know. Yeah. I, I am conflicted. So I'll, I go in spurts of selling work when I'm feeling <laughs> like, okay, I can commit to, to the amount of energy it takes to put my work out there. I'll sell it or to make prints or to run an online shop. I can do that for this amount mm-hmm. of time. But for the most part, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Luckily, I have my teaching position that can sustain me for the most part. And with the business side, I do a lot more trading than selling. I have a Mm. lot of friends who will trade me plants or will swap art or they'll maybe be in a line of industry where I'm interested in what they make or what they sell and we'll swap. Mm. And I kind of like that a lot more. I don't really like to put the price tag on my work, though I need to. Yeah, it's so hard. But I love that being able to be in that barter industry, like barter not industry isn't the right word, but yeah. And and I <laughs> like think that exchange. I have like some c- conflict or conflicting ideas about capitalizing on artwork. Or at least the type mm-hmm. of work I make, it's so personal and it feels weird to capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one way that I think it was Kaylin Butine from the Artist Mother podcast talked about it as like an energy exchange that she talked about that as a way that's helped her. And I feel like that's really helpful to hear. There can be such psychological issues around money and thinking of it as like, I spend time making this thing, this object, this artwork, and then someone else spends time like whatever, being a lawyer and the time they spend, they earn some money and they give it to me for the time that I spend. (laughs) Like Mm. it's this energy exchange that you're spending time doing different things and trading your artwork for that time, I guess. That's true. I like that. Yeah. To try to take the money away from it, even though the money is a part of it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I feel like that's a helpful way to look at it when you are trying to figure out how do I price? How do I sell this? How do I justify pricing and selling this work that's so personal and meaningful? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hoard it. Like I have too many already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have like no storage space. So I have all my work just on the wall behind me. 
But then I'm like, I don't have any wall space anymore. (laughs) Now what do I do? Totally. (laughs) Somebody else put it on your wall. Totally. I did start Uh, a Patreon recently. That's been cool. So another component, I guess, of selling my work or advertising my work or connecting to audiences that's been a struggle has been social media. I don't really like being on social media anymore. And I don't really like the exchanges that happen on social media. And sometimes they feel really superficial. Mm. And I notice that when I'm on social media, I'm quickly scrolling and liking and, and not really taking time to really appreciate some of the things that artists put out onto the internet. Mm-hmm. So I started a Patreon, which also feels a little funny, this exchange of money. Mm-hmm. But I've started to connect with folks who are my supporters by writing them uh, letters with drawings mm. and I stuff stickers in there. And that's felt like a more genuine way to to share my work and to share my thoughts surrounding my work with yeah. folks with an exchange of money, I suppose. Yeah, that's beautiful. I feel like Patreon is a really nice way to connect with people. Yeah. yeah. I also have like a workshop tier, which I'm still figuring out, but that's been mm-hmm. cool to also like my supporters are my friends. And so it's been cool to right. like have my support, my friends in a Zoom class or workshop with me where we're just making something loosely around a prompt and chatting mm-hmm. and sharing about our mm-hmm. lives. And it just feels like such a deeper connection that I would be making than just mm-hmm. like posting online and Instagram and just having likes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I feel like your work, some of your work is very sort of graphic, like would translate well to prints or stickers, Mm -hmm. even shirts and all of that, like putting it on products Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I don't know if you feel like that maybe somehow takes away from the concept sometimes sometimes yeah I'm I'm comforted by that I mean I have made shirts and I love them and and people love them and appreciate them but it does feel a little like it takes away sometimes Hmm. but yeah I'm trying to really get out of that mindset because if someone Mm -hmm. likes it and it means something to them and they want to wear it or stick it on their water bottle I think that's okay and I need to figure it all out for myself yeah I feel like it's a like the fine art, I'm putting that in quotes, totally. <laughs> like gallery museum world might look down on putting your work on like products. But I love that idea of like somebody loves it so much that they want it on their body or on the water bottle they carry with them. And they just totally. have this little visual reminder, they can look at it. And, and- it's a really accessible way to have mm-hmm. art and to appreciate art rather than yeah. it just only staying in the gallery or only staying on paper framed or whatever. Yeah, like being able to translate a, I don't know, say like $300 original down to like a $100 print down Mm -hmm. to like a $20 shirt down to a $3 sticker. Like (laughs) totally. Yeah, like having those levels so everybody can access it. Totally. And and I think I'm just trying to find the balance between that because I I believe it should Mm -hmm. be accessible. And I, I don't ever price my work that high for that reason. Yeah. Um, But I also just want to make sure I stay true to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not turn myself into a product. Right. Yeah. There's a balance. Ah. I feel like it's always really helpful to talk about it and throw these ideas around with other artists. For sure. And then 
with Patreon, you said it's mostly your friends. How are you putting that out into the world? Are you sharing it on social media or? Yeah, so that is... <laughs> with that love-hate relationship. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a love-hate relationship. Because I also want to see what my friends are doing, but I realized mm-hmm. that I would rather just talk to them rather than see their <laughs> posts or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's on social media. I allow myself to post maybe once a month and maybe look at social media once a month. But mm. I I have kind of like an addiction to it, I guess. Or maybe we all kind of do where you just can actually yeah. scroll and it takes up so much time. So I have to put really strict boundaries on social media. Yeah. And and that's also why I created the Patreon is so that I'm not on social media or feeling pressure to make posts or, oh, it didn't get enough likes. What's up with that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. For a little while, I was like looking at the insight thing just because I was so new to it all. I was like, how does this work? Like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And I just avoid looking at all that stuff. I'm like, doesn't matter how many, like how many followers, how many likes, all of that stuff. Totally. Um, it's also like kind of up to the algorithm too, which is so, mm-hmm. like, I think that's what really did me in. I was like, well, this is all based on an algorithm anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that seems to change a lot and yeah. is so mysterious. <laughs> totally. So I'm I'm trying to just have boundaries with it. And I know mm-hmm. everyone's still on it and still really uses it. But I cannot wait for the day where we figured out something other than Instagram or Facebook or whatever, or TikTok or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I want to share my work with folks, but I, I don't want to be so connected to a social media platform that I'm on it all the time. Yeah. I want to hang out with my dogs and my friends and be outside (laughs) and making art or reading. Yeah. And then I feel like in those moments, you also feel like I do. I feel this pressure to document these moments that I'm living and enjoying. Like, oh, wait, get the camera out and like take a picture to share on social media. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I've noticed (sighs) I started taking way less pictures now that I'm off of it and just Mm. like enjoying the moment. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it is definitely a balance when you're thinking of your work as sort of a business and you're trying to promote. There's some kind of balance. One thing that's really helpful, actually, for me is using something like Later or Plan or there's, you know, a bunch of those scheduling apps or scheduling. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I, I try to set aside time once a week and kind of schedule, at least for the podcast. Mm-hmm. For my own art, it's a different story. I'm just like totally haphazard there. <laughs> but I try to be good about like, I'm going to schedule things. And then that way, they'll just go out and I won't even have to look and it'll just be happening. Totally. And that might be a direction I take in the future. Mm-hmm. I am off social media like super recently. I think I started mm-hmm. distancing in, in January. But I think once I have more distance from it, I, I would con- mm-hmm. probably consider something like that. Yeah, I think it's healthy to take some distance, yeah. reassess. <laughs> yeah. And then are there any sort of resources that have helped you a lot along the way? Maybe either, this is really broad, but with either art making or teaching, like any, you've shared some books already, but favorite books that you would want people to know about, or even like websites you feel like everybody needs to know about? Yeah, let's see. Well, I think the obvious one that I know a lot of folks mention is Art 21. Yeah, Um, yeah. 
That has been so helpful for me as an educator. My mentor teacher, Kyun Mi, who teaches at RISD, also mm. discovered Art 21. She's new to teaching at RISD, and she's like, every educator needs to know about this website. Mm-hmm. My favorite book that I read this past year has been All About Love by Bell Hooks. Mm. I feel like it's really changed how I love myself and how I love others. It's brought me a lot of peace in my life. <laughs> Let's see. The Artist's Way for folks who are feeling creatively blocked. I never finished it, mm-hmm. if I'm being super honest, but I felt like I learned <laughs> so much from the first few chapters or first few weeks that I did that mm-hmm. are habits that I still have, like the artist dates or the journaling. And some of the things I learned in that book, I, I've actually brought to my students and we've had conversations because it's essentially a self-help book for artists. Right. So I love self-help. My favorite podcast that I'm listening to right now for self-help is XO Higher Self by Bonnie Michael. What else? Oh, I've also started to distance from TV. So I think the way I found the balance between art making, teaching, having my own like business-ish and self-help has been to really cut out the noise in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it started with social media, but translated to TV. And so now mm-hmm. the only TV I watch is Canopy. And that's offered free through the public libraries. And it's Ooh. I've seen such cool art house films on there and educational documentaries from like the 80s, documentaries on artists. I think Canopy has been my favorite resource so far. And I've even found some experimental films I'm showing with students and also creating a project around that. Ah, Amazing. I will have to look into that. Yeah. Ah, That's great. And then time management, thinking of how do you fit it all in? You talked about with the MFA program that there's sort of times where it's you're back in Portland in the studio and times where you're making and connecting with your mentor remotely, but sort of day to day, week to week, do you fit in art making and teaching sort of constantly? Or is it more sort of up and down like this is an art making week and then we're like in it with teaching? Yeah, it's definitely that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would love for it to be, you know, half and half, but it's definitely like, oh, like it's studio time with the kids. I'm not really, you know, starting a lesson. There's So it's like there's a lot of downtime in studio time for the kids. And Mm -hmm. so I draw with them or I sculpt with them. But then when I'm about to introduce a project, there's a lot of research and building the lesson is a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I also don't do the same lessons that often, Mm -hmm. especially now. Uh, Everything is different and new. So there's a lot that goes into putting together the lessons. And yeah, uh, so art might take a backseat. But I do try and journal every day or do small sketches every day. It might not be like a bigger work, but at least it's a Mm -hmm. tiny little sketch and I did something. Yes. And I feel like that gives you a little boost. Like I I made something today. Totally. And and also I view my practice as not just the the making part, but it is Mm -hmm. like the journaling part or the reading Mm -hmm. or watching something on canopy that's related to my work. Learning Mm -hmm. about Manasha, the snake goddess in the Hindu culture, or even just listening to a self-help podcast that's around the topic I'm thinking about, just mm-hmm. confronting my shadows. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, yeah, it's all the it's thinking. All mm-hmm. And I can say I do something every day related to my practice. It's also helped me to think about like all the admin, the busy work sort of stuff that goes into being an artist. Mm-hmm. Like we have a website and you have to keep up with the website. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like, I'm so bad at that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, for sure. Or like submitting to shows if you're filling out an application, like that time is part of your studio time, sort of. Totally. What gets me is the like when you have to fill out a W nine or something <laughs> or giving a lecture uh, or something. It's that like it's so easy, but that is something that's so hard for me to do. Uh, yeah. All the all the paperwork stuff. Yeah, paperwork is hard for me. Mm. Yeah, I hear that a lot from artists that even if it's something like that, where it's like, just put your name and like a few numbers and Mm -hmm. whatever, like, it's just the act of having to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's been a really hard one for me this year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's all good. I feel really good about the balance that I'm starting to find. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know. It could always be better, but I'm feeling good with where I'm at right now. Yeah. Well, I I find it inspiring how much you've been able to, like you said, cut the noise. That's really incredible. I'm definitely not there yet. (laughs) It's hard, but I'm lucky. Like I live alone. My dogs are the noisiest things Mm -hmm. around me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a parent, so Mm -hmm. I I have the privilege to do that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's much harder when you have to balance more responsibilities and and I have limited responsibilities in that way. Yeah, I think we would have a full-on revolt if we cut off Disney Plus. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I get that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I have a few fun wrap up questions. What are you curious about right now? Hmm. Well, I am curious about snakes. I mean, obviously they're part of my work, (laughs) but I just reached out to snake rescuer and Mm. I'm going to go observe them for a day just sit and watch them and they might just sit there and watch me but I'm looking forward to that and drawing them and writing down observations yeah amazing do you think you would adopt a snake bring home a snake as a pet kind of have a fear of snakes Hmm. (laughs) I think they're so beautiful and they're so cool but I don't know if I would bring home a snake and and also I kind of just want them to be out in the wild like yeah I appreciate that some folks need to have them like maybe they're not meant for the wild or maybe they have like a really good setup at home but I don't think I could provide a snake a better life than living its life outside yeah yeah that makes sense this is totally an aside but my cousin who I grew up with almost like a sister in Montana has this animal rescue organization where she studied animal training outside of LA. Actually, a lot of people that go to her program end up working for movies and stuff, training animals that are going to be sort of actor animals. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, which is such a strange world. Totally. But she and her husband, who both went to that program, have this animal 
rescue slash education organization where they basically take in unwanted or neglected exotic animals that people took in as pets and then realized, oh, this is actually like a lot more work to take care of a snake than Mm -hmm. I realized. So they have all these animals in, they've built all these special environments for them. And then they do education programs with kids. But yeah, every time I visit her, she's like, you know, let's go see the animals. Like, you want to go see the spiders? And I'm like, no, (laughs) keep me away from them. (laughs) Oh my God, totally. I was at the Desert Museum here in Tucson the other day and they had so many spiders. My biggest nightmare. I was actually with a friend and I was telling him like, oh my God, some of them weren't visible. And I was like, the plot twist, they're actually right. all around us. They've escaped. Oh, and then I God. had a apple from my hat tickle me in that moment. And I screamed oh. so loud, like <laughs> scared myself. Oh, yeah. My skin's crawling just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But like she has foxes. There's a porcupine that's internet famous now. (laughs) There's, you know, all these different animals. Okay, that would be a TikTok or Instagram that I would follow. (laughs) Animals are so cute. Like, my students will have a fun time. They'll show me their pets and I will sob on camera over how cute (laughs) they've gotten me to cry a few times. Oh, I love it. Get very emotional around cute animals. (laughs) Yes. Don't we all? I feel like that's what we need. Just, yeah. Sometimes I'll just scroll either comedy or the cute animals. For real. (laughs) Give me a pick me up. Yeah. I want to see cute baby foxes right now. Yes. Or kawadis. Those are the things that really get me crying. Mm, So cute. (laughs) Okay. A fun, silly question. What is your favorite food? I love soup so much. Even in the summer when it's 110 degrees, I want soup. And all the forms in pho and pozole, chicken noodle soup. I want it all. Mm, I love it. (laughs) That's funny. I recently had kind of a conversation about soup and I'm actually not a fan. <laughs> I know. And people are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so good. I love, I love a good broth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I love hot, like coffee, tea, hot cocoa. Maybe I just need sugar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything we missed that you wanted to touch on? I think that I just want to give you some links for some things like uh, yeah I'm part of an artist collective subspace here in Tucson Mm -hmm. I would love to link to that we do a lot of cool community events Mm -hmm. uh, here in town and show a lot of cool artists from the region what else I'm also part of a nonprofit in Tucson called Groundworks Tucson which is a DIY Mm -hmm. art music space it's a arts space for youth or it's youth driven. So it's not specifically just for youth, but we have virtual classes. And hopefully when things are safe and open again, we can have shows there. We have a stage, we have a classroom. That's a cool space I'm excited for here in Tucson. I I think we really need that for youth here. Yeah. And does that mean like youth driven? Is there sort of like a youth advisory board or? That is in the process of being set Uh up right now. But we have youth using the space like they book it for band practice or for photo shoots. Mm -hmm. We like to showcase youth 
in the space. Mm -hmm. They'll record music videos. It's cool. Yeah. Awesome. And then with both of those, so you're in this artist collective, you're involved in this organization, you're teaching, you're making art. How do those fit into your time? I wish I had a better answer. It's always <laughs> like a wild juggling game. of Yeah. It somehow works, but I don't have words of wisdom. It's kind of like how you described it earlier. Some weeks I'm stronger at it than others. Mm -hmm. Totally. But luckily, none of those things are like something is solely falling on me. They're all group mm -hmm. efforts. So I, I help when I have the time and I might take a backseat the weeks that are extra busy. Yeah, that makes sense. But I definitely try and show up at least weekly for those things. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then is there anyone that you'd want to thank or give a shout out to? Oh my gosh, so many people, but I would say Liz Deneau, she's an educator here in Tucson who teaches in the Marana district. She's an art teacher that, I don't know, we, we bounce a lot of ideas off of each other, but I feel like she's strengthened my practice so much and has opened my eyes to the possibilities of what we can do as art teachers. Mm. Um, so shout out to Liz Deneau. I think she should be a guest on here one day. <laughs> Ooh, yes. She's an awesome <laughs> artist, too. You'll have to give me her info. Heck yeah. Yes. <laughs> My mentor, Kuhn Me. There's so many folks. Laura's. My mom. My Nana. And Kelly for connecting us. Yes. Kelly Marshall. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> uh, I love it. And then last thing, where can listeners connect with you online? Well, they can follow my <laughs> quiet Instagram account <laughs> at Andrea Bell underscore. They can follow me as a supporter on Patreon. They can go to my website, olivi.com, where I maybe quarterly update it. <laughs> <laughs> they can shoot me an email and ask me questions. Yeah, I love it. And I will link to everything. Awesome. So. Cool. Yes. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This was cool. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Oh, and last shout out yeah. to my students because they yes. rule so much. And especially this year, they've just put in so much work and effort and they're so cool and they keep me going during the days where I just want to quit my job. They're, mm. they're the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The kids keep us creative, keep us hopeful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. want to cry thinking about them. I love them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.